All right, so much to uh, to talk about, so much to do. This is uh, this is a huge, uh, just a huge day in our church. Uh, the, how many of y'all uh, like seeing the babies dedicated? How how, how cool is that? It was awesome. You know, my favorite. I, I I hate to say this. This sounds so strange. But my favorite part of baby dedications is the kid going nuts. I love that. Like, because that was probably me when I was a kid, but, but that's what a family sounds like, doesn't it? Isn't that what a family sounds like? I mean, you get the whole family at Christmas time, whatever. It's not quiet. It's not peaceful. It's chaos. That's what family is, and that's what God gave us a brief glimpse of up here, and I love it. So to all you parents whose kids go nuts when they shouldn't, you know, what, what is the Hunger Games thing? You know, I'm, 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 I'm there. You know, I, I, I love it, absolutely. We've all been there. Love you. Love your kids. The, 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 a, a, ch- a church that does not have kids yelling in it and everything is not going to be around very long. What you were seeing was the future of the church, and so I love it. I love it. I love it. So just letting you all know that. Um, also, I love, I love seeing the celebration of mission work. I love mission work. Um, if you are a Christian, you are a missionary. They may be missionaries to Honduras. We're missionaries to America. Uh, but everyone is a missionary, and I love seeing that work celebrated because as a church, we are what we celebrate. What we celebrate, that is what the culture becomes. We will have a culture of church planning, a culture of sending people to the mission field, a culture of sending people to the ministry, because that's what we're doing. That's what we celebrate. And so that's exciting to me. Um, and so uh, we are finishing up our series in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Uh, it was, it's called When a Society Commits Suicide. And if you guys uh, missed the first two uh, uh, episodes, that sounds so like like a Star Wars thing. If you missed the first two parts of this series, you can go to our YouTube page. I want to invite you to go there. Go to our our catalystchristian.com. You can find a link to all our YouTube. We we podcast all our sermons. You can get audio or video. You can go see those and catch up. But this is part three. Um, And it is the main thing today is this. When people can no longer police themselves, freedom dies as more and more rules become, become mandatory. All right, in 2008, when we were getting this church started, I was substitute teaching at East Jessamine High School. I was a, a PE and gym teacher. And I don't know about you all, but I, I discovered something. There's not a lot of respect for substitute teachers. I mean, imagine that. Well, this, I, I, this, this one person um, always had to go to the bathroom. Always, she always having to go to the bathroom. Well, turns out, you know, one born yesterday, I, I knew she was, she, she was actually going out to the parking lot and, uh, and visiting with friends out there, everything like that. Well, so she got busted. And the next day, over the, uh, over the intercom, the principal said, now you can only use the bathroom in between classes. Teachers, you are not allowed to send students to use the bathroom. Apparently, this is a big problem. And so what happened is that... Uh, with, when a person couldn't police themselves, when they, when they lied, they couldn't tell the truth, they couldn't be where they're supposed to be, another rule was meant necessary. And that meant that legitimate kids who had to use the bathroom were suffering because this person couldn't police themselves. Um, this see where this is going. When people can no longer police themselves, when the internal moral co- uh, compass is gone, the only response is more laws, more rules, more restrictions. Uh, when my daughters were teenagers, I told them this. The irony of life is this, y'all. That if you all follow the rules, you can do whatever you want. If you don't follow the rules, you won't be able to do anything you want. I said, don't make me make a rule because of you. As a parent, if I can trust you, you can do whatever you want. If I can't trust you, you can't do anything. 
okay? So don't do anything to violate the trust I have in you. And that is where we as a society are going. As God, the first uh, part, we talk about removing God from the throne. Okay, when, when God is removed from the throne, then, then the, the result is our, our minds are darkened, our, our thinking becomes futile, and we lose the ability to police ourselves. This, what we talked about last week was the, 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 uh, with God removed, the next most powerful thing is we all go after is sex. A society will become uh, just intrigued and just obsessed with sex. Everything will be uh, uh, focused on that. And so after that, then we have this. We get to basically what's called total chaos. And if you guys follow in Romans 1, 20 through 32, very described by the Russian, uh, by the Russian author Dostoevsky, said this, if God does not exist, then everything is permitted in the brothers Karamazov. Romans 1, 20 through 32, this is the result of removing God from the throne and a hypersexualized society. Furthermore, just they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that to, to do what they not ought to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Dostoevsky was one of the greatest authors in history, and this book makes some very poignant observations about humanity, especially this one. Basically, without God, life is about me and what I want and getting what's mine. The might makes right in a godless society. Let's take an example from the animal kingdom. All right, uh, two days ago, I went down to Wolf County to help a guy set up his, uh, his property for a deer hunt. I love to hunt deer. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but if you're a cattle person, you know that that is one of my favorite things. And so I, 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 I took this young man down to his property. He's got 80 acres and helped him set up a kill zone and make sure he's not shooting towards houses and all that kind of stuff, patterning deer. And, uh, and he had never hunted before. So during the car ride, he asked a lot about deer and how they work. And I told him this. I said, the reason hunting season is in November, that's the mating season. That's when the the, the bucks are chasing the does and, and everything like that. And he asked me more about it. And I said, well, the greatest good in the animal kingdom without God, if we're, we're no different than, than animals without God, the greatest good is to express your genetic material as far and wide as possible and prevent the other guy from doing it. Okay, that is why bucks will do everything in their power to make sure that the competition is eliminated. They will kill every other buck. They will challenge. They will fight for those mating rights. And it doesn't matter if he has 20 does. If he sees a buck trying to get in on the action, he's going to go after him and kill him. He's going to be the dominant expression. And, uh, uh, and then out of nowhere, I said this. That's exactly what humans would be without God. And he was like, Huh? where did that come from? I said, well, I happen to be preaching on this on Sunday. It's kind of fresh in my mind. And, and I said, without God, we're simply animals looking for, our, for ourselves. Doesn't matter who we hurt, who we run over, who we kill. Some, someone has, to do, has, has something we want. We don't have it. Kill him. Take it. Why not? Without God, Dostoevsky says, everything is permissible. No reason whatsoever to look out anyone for anyone other than yourselves. All right? You got to get while the getting's good. That's what the animal kingdom says. 
It's what every other life form except for humans say. That's how they live, okay? God is the only reason humans are different from the animal kingdom. That's why scripture and history show this passage of scripture to be true. Richard Dawkins is a militant atheist who basically hates people like you and me. He, he does not think we're intelligent, thinks we're backward, thinks we're causing harm to society. Even he said this, look, look up on the screen, I said this a few years ago. There are no Christians, as far as I know, blowing up buildings. I know, I'm, I'm not aware of any Christian suicide bombers. I'm not aware of any major Christian denomination that believes a penalty for apostasy is death. I have mixed feelings about the decline of Christianity and so far as Christianity might be a bulwark against something worse. Even the militant atheist Richard Dawkins understands that Christianity is a bulwark for society, that without Christianity, something far worse is coming. And that's exactly what Paul describes here in Romans chapter 1. All right? Of Christianity, faith in God is a bulwark against something worse. Uh, but when faith in God leaves a country and, and immorality increases, something dies, and that is Freedom. Freedom dies. Freedom dies as immorality increases. That's number two. Galatians 5.13, Paul writes this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This is an amazing thing. As a rebellious humanity thumbs its nose at God, and that's going on a lot in our, in our society right now, a lot of thumbing our nose at God. Don't tell us what to do. Don't judge me, God. Get out of here is basically what our culture said. Um, you, uh, we, we, we don't, we're not becoming more free. We're becoming less free. Liberty, freedom, and morals cannot exist without each other. The American prize, liberty, freedom, we, we say that we're a beacon of freedom and liberty to the world. That's what, that's what I was taught as a kid. Uh, even in our national anthem, land of the free and home of the brave, right? Well, in Jesus' day, the nation of Israel was consumed by legalism and rules. The ruling religious elites, the Pharisees, had more than 400 rules for the Sabbath alone. One of the, my favorite ones was if a beggar came to a Jewish person's door on the Sabbath, the Jewish person could not hand food outside. Uh, if they reached outside their door, that was work, and that was violating the Sabbath. But if the beggar reached his hand in, you could give it to him because that wasn't work. This is how legalistic the society had become. And Jesus was overly critical of them because they were missing the freedom that God wanted for his, pe wanted for his people, among other things. But someone says, with religion gone, we can actually be free. That's what I was taught in my secular education. With, with religion and its rules and its outdated traditions gone, we can finally be free. Well, that's what's taught in academia. Let's take a look at reality. Most godless societies that have removed God from the throne. Let's take a look at East Germany. In the 1980s, Soviet Union that's now gone. Were those free societies? Were those characterized by freedom utopia? Hardly. Those were characterized by secret police, uh, informing on citizens, uh, gulags, uh, crushing dissent, conformity of thought. With God gone, rules increase. That's all a godless society can do. And scripture tells us not to use our freedom to indulge our flesh, to go wild, but rather to humbly serve one another in love. God's desire for us to be free and to choose his ways. But unfortunately, we haven't done that. Because we haven't, we progress to the final stage. This is the final stage, Paul says, of a society commits suicide. And this is it, number three, the uh, approval of evil. Verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. One of the most frustrating things about being a pastor 
I'll, I'll just tell you guys, one of the most frustrating things about being a pastor is seeing Christians who misuse the grace of God. Misuse it. It's this precious gift, the grace of God, this precious gift that he has given us through his death and resurrection on the cross. I was, I was talking to a, a person who's a dedicated Christian this past week in church, loves the Lord, involved in small groups, the whole shebang. And I found out that in a few weeks, he was moving in with his girlfriend. And I said, why are you doing this? This is against the will of God. You, you aren't some non-believer who lives by his, you, you're a Christian. You call Christ Lord and Savior. You're, you're mature in your faith. Why are you doing this? And he said this. He goes, well, it's better than being alone. And I thought to myself, that is the level. That's the depth of faith. That's the depth of trust in God that a dedicated person in the church has. He knows better. But then in my mind, when he said that, my mind went back to 1995 when I was engaged to my wife. She was my fiance at the time. And uh, a leader at Center College FCA, which I was a part of, heard I was engaged, came up to say congratulations. He goes, uh, when are you guys getting married? He said, well, we're gonna graduate and get married in June. He goes, no, 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 no. No, you need to live together first. And I said, well, why would I do that? He goes, well, you never buy a car without a test drive. I thought to myself, this is a leader in the church. It's a leader in FCA that is comparing getting married to test driving a car. Here's the truth, church. Apparently even the church is fine with sexual immorality now. And as I left that meeting with that guy, I said to myself, no wonder we can't reach the world. We can't even reach the church. We can't even get people who are called Jesus Christ Lord and Savior to live by the word of God. How do we expect the world to do it? And that rededicated my thought that we need to reach not only just myself, we need, to get our, we need to get our church right. We need to get the church right before we can even speak prophetically to society. We have to get the church right. We need a revival in our church before we can even expect revival outside. Here's the truth that needs to be stated. Many of us excuse blatant rebellion against God by using grace. There's a huge difference, church, in sins of the moment, momentary lapses of judgment, you give in to something. That, 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 there's, there's a huge difference in that and structured, willful sin. Now, all sin is equal that it requires a Savior. Please hear me on that because I'm not saying any sin is okay. I'm not doing that. But there's a big difference in momentary lapse, giving temptation, in structuring your life around sin. And if you have structured your life around sin, if you have made the choice like this, like my friend, this person did, to literally move in, to put deposits down, to move his furniture in and everything, you cannot say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You have willingly, willingly structured your life and planned, premeditated your sin. And that's prevalent everywhere. If you make the deliberate decision, moving with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you make your living deliberately, maybe, maybe in a profession that is not godly, where you're defrauding people or where it requires you to be dishonest. Um, if, if you are in a situation where your sin is structured, it is part of your life. I'm calling you, church, to repent. I'm calling all of us 
to walk away from it, to choose God's path. That's what I'm calling us to. Remember people, Christians give God their best. God gets the first day of the week. He gets the first part of our morning. He gets the first say in every decision. He gets the first tenth of our income. He gets the best care. He gets our, our very best. That's what a Christian gives God. And I simply ask my friend, is this giving God your best? And he goes, well, I just don't want to be alone. I said, okay. No wonder we can't reach the world. I said, we can't even reach Christians. How far we, as the American church, have drifted from God's ideal, from holiness, from what he has called us to. How it grieves me to see God's church abusing God's precious gift of grace, living in open rebellion to God and his word, and thinking nothing of it. This is how a society and a church commit suicide, not only continuing to do the very things that God says deserve death, but giving approval to it. We need revival, you all. Right now, America is the prodigal son. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible in Luke chapter 15. One of the most famous stories, a father has two sons. Younger one says, I, I, it's better over there. I'm gonna go over there, that foreign country over there. By the way, pops, I need my inheritance now. Give me half the, half the estate. And give me what's mine, and I'm going over there because it's better. It looks more fun over there. It's better there. You know, I, I, I just don't like you, brother. I just don't like you, dad. I, just don't, I, I don't like your ways. I don't wanna live here anymore. Looks better over there. Grass is greener, so give me my stuff, and I'm gone. And he leaves his father in his home and he sets off for a distant land, and there he parties it up. While he's got the old man's money, he parties it up, squanders, the Bible says, in wild living. Draw your own conclusions what he did. It's not hard to imagine what he did. See, the prodigal son took the blessings of the father and went away. It's kind of like America's done. See, we like God's blessings. We just don't like God. We like what he can give us. We, he, we, we like the prosperity that, that he's given us. He, we, we like the, uh, the structure he's given us, the liberty, the freedom. We, we like all that. We just don't like God. So we're going to try to take the blessings of God and, and kind of kick God out and think that we can keep the things he's given us. Well, the prodigal son, he didn't see you couldn't separate dad from what the dad had. And the same thing, we cannot separate God from his blessings. And so uh, the prodigal son learned that the hard way. And unlike America, yet, yet, he started yearning for what he used to have. See, there are three stages of revival, and they're seen in the, in the story of the prodigal son. Three stages of revival, you can't have, you, can't, you have to have all three or you get none. Okay, the first stage of revival is this. It's called realization. See, the prodigal son had walked away and he, 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 and he had spent all his money and there was a famine and he began to get hungry. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country to feed pigs. Anyone ever been to a pig farm? Okay, you can smell a pig farm a mile away. It is disgusting. Pigs, even though bacon's awesome, okay? Pigs are disgusting. They really are. And so he was 
feeding pigs slop. And it, he was so hungry that the pig food looked attractive. That's, that's the state he was in. And so the first thing, first stage is realization. Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I love, I, I wish everyone would underline the first part of that verse. When he came to his senses, I love that because it's amazing how deluded and how, how uh, just deceived we can be and we can go so far, but when God calls us back, we come to our senses. I love it. It's called the aha moment when we realize where we are, when we realize how far we've gone, when we get sick and tired of being sick and tired and we look back and say, what have I done? What, am I, what was I thinking? Everybody needs that moment. The American church needs that moment. American society needs that moment. We need this come to our senses. It's called realization. It, it, the first thing he realized is that he was financially ruined. He had spent all his money. Dave Ramsey did not approve of his lifestyle. Okay, he spent all his money. He was broke. He had no resources. All the things I used to have, I don't have them anymore. Right, the second thing is that he, he, he realized he was physically ruined. I wonder what the prodigal son looked like as he left the farm. He was probably well-dressed. He was a wealthy guy. He was probably handsome, probably hair was kempt, you know, he had good clothes, he probably was strong, he probably was healthy looking. As he left, what is the condition of a guy who thinks pig slop looks good? His clothes are probably tattered, he's probably emaciated, he was, his hair was unkempt. You know, you don't pay for haircuts when you can't buy food. Imagine what shape he was in. He was physically ruined. He goes, I've indulged the world. I ran after things that promised. It's ruined me financially. It's also ruined me physically. The third thing he realized is that he was relationally ruined. He realized he'd left his father he sought friendship with the world, and he wound up with neither. See, guys, when we forsake God and try to make friends with, friends with the world, we find out we have no friends at all. That's what he realized. Realized that the, the, how far he was from the one person that, that truly loved him unconditionally, his father, his father was a good man, obviously took care of the hired men. They had food to spare. Father was a good man, and he had loved his son, and he realized how far he was away from the one person that had loved him unconditionally in his whole life. He was relationally ruined. He'd sought the world, and the world had dumped him. It was a realization. And here in America, our nation, we're financially ruined. We're $30 trillion in debt with gas prices through the roof, food prices through the roof. More, more Americans are in debt right now than at any other time. Our nation's physically ruined, we're, we're unhealthy. We're, we have the highest uh, number of overdose deaths last year that, that we've ever seen. We're also relationally ruined. We've forsaken God. We've walked away from the one person who loves us unconditionally, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, and we sought friendship with the world that does not love us back. Has there been realization, church, of where we are? 
Have we had our aha moment? Have we had our, our this sucks moment? Have we had the sick and tired of being sick and tired moment? I have. I have. I don't know about you all, but I have. It pains me, it grieves me to see my country where it is, to see the church where it is, to see people that are Christian brothers and sisters living in open rebellion against God and his ways. It pains me and it grieves me. And I, 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 I have this realization moment, and I hope that you have too. Take a look around you. Take a look at your life. Have you had your realization moment? Have you had your prodigal son moment where you realize, I've walked away from the one who loves me unconditionally, the only one that's there for me when I'm down. The only one that's there for me when I'm at rock bottom. When the world walks out, God walked in, and I'm the one that walked away from him. I hope that you've had that, that realization moment. The second stage, after realization, then there's repentance. That's the second stage of revival. Luke 15, 18, prodigal son makes the first good decision in his life. He says this, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Notice he didn't say he went home. He went to his father. It, he went to rebuild that relationship that he'd walked away from. It wasn't the property. It wasn't the money. It was his father. And that is exactly what repentance is. It is saying, it, it, it's saying I don't have any excuse. You notice he said, uh, you know, if it wasn't for this or that, or, or if you wouldn't have been so mean, or my older brother would have been more supportive. No. Repentance means you don't blame anyone. Repentance means that it is all you. And you, and you realize where you are, and with no excuses, you go straight back to the Father, not because of your righteousness, because you just desire that relationship with him, that broken relationship that you walked away from, and you want that back. That's what repentance is. Repentance doesn't mean you stay where you are and try to send God an email. No, 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 you go back. You return with no arrogance, no justifications, no excuses, just, Dad, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't have any claim to my inheritance. I just, I just want to be with you. And whatever that looks like, if that means I'm a hired servant, if that means I'm your slave, it doesn't matter. I just want to be with you. That's it. That's what repentance is, church. It's the most beautiful thing in the Bible, repentance. It means hating where we are and walking away from it and never going back. That's what repentance is. And without repentance, there can be no revival. We can't approach God with conditions. We can't approach God with, with, uh, uh, with demands. We can't approach God with, with a, an escape clause. No, we just approach him saying, it doesn't matter. I just want you. I just want you, God. That's it. That's all I want. Come hell or high water, whatever that means, I just want you, God. That's what repentance is is I don't want this anymore and want you. And after repentance, then the third stage of revival, this is where God does his best work, restoration. Luke 15, 22 through 24, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
That is what happens when we have a realization and a repentance moment. God restores. God can restore me. God can restore you. God can restore your family. God can restore this church. God can restore America if we have a realization and a repentance moments. That's it. That's all he's waiting for. That's all he's waiting for. He, if you notice, God, the, the father did not seek out the prodigal son while he was in his rebellion. He did not seek him out. He watched for him to return, but he didn't seek him out because he knew something about his son and God knows something about us that maybe we don't know for ourselves is that we have to reach rock bottom. We have to, we have to get to where we hate what we've done. There has to be a brokenness. There has to be a godly sorrow over our rebellion before he can restore us. Because if we aren't broken, if we still love our sin, if we still love that, he can't restore us because we're gonna go right back to the hog trough until we hate it and we just want him. So have you had your realization and have you had your repentance moment We start in here. We can't talk about American society before we start talking about our own lives and our own families and our own church and our own community. We have to get our own house in order first before we can speak prophetically to the culture. So have you had that? Church, I'm calling you back to God. I'm calling us as Americans back to God. And you're like, well, I haven't really done anything bad. I'm, I'm not talking about that. See, the the problem with with our culture isn't necessarily that everyone's out murdering people. The problem is is that we we are just, our default is lukewarmness and apathy. Our default is just not not prizing God, not treasuring God. And guys, I'm calling you back from that. If you had your aha moment. See, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people... This is God saying this, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God is waiting for us to have a realization in our repentance moments so he can do his best work, which is restoration, which is to forgive you of your sins, which is to grant you the gift of eternal life, which is to set you on the path in relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is what we need personally, in our families, in our church, our community, and in the world. Um, if there's anyone who needs to do that today, I want you to come find me after church. I want to talk to you. If you're the prodigal son, you'll be like, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've come to my senses. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Let me pray for you. If you've never been, if you've never been baptized, let's baptize you. We'll do it next Sunday. We'll, we'll talk. Let's, let's, let's do this, but don't go another day in the hog trough, church. Your father's waiting for you to restore. He wants to restore you to who he originally created you to be. Um, I wasn't planning on saying this next part, but it kind of feeds in. I don't know if you guys have been uh, watching the news the last two days, but most of you know that um, the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was a uh, decision made the year before I was born, 1973, uh, basically legalizing abortion in all 50 states. If you don't know what that is, please talk to your parents. Um, Yesterday, or Friday, 
I believe, that ruling was overturned. Um, and the collective meltdown on social media and in the media, uh, it was, it's not unanticipated. It's definitely been stronger than I thought. And I thought to myself, how, how do we as a church respond to this? Now, you, you, any, any of you all who know me know my stance on abortion. Um, I, uh, um, as a father, a lot of you all know my story. Our third child was diagnosed uh, 20 week ultrasound with a heart defect. Uh, we were told that it would be a good idea to abort him. Um, everything, I'll, I'll, that's a different story for a different day. We didn't choose abortion, we chose life. Um, and, uh, but th that, that, this topic is very near and, and dear to me. I'm wondering how the church responds to this because I've seen some inappropriate responses to it on both sides. Um, I was told as an athlete from one of my coaches, how you lose really says a lot about you, but also how you win says even more about you. Um, I wanna tell my pro-life friends with a lot of you guys in here, um, it's completely inappropriate to gloat. It's completely inappropriate to do a victory lap. You can celebrate the ruling if you want, but make sure that you are doing that in love. This is my take, this is my response, and, and you guys can follow me if you want on this. My celebration of, the, uh, of this, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, it's, I, I, I am against abortion. But my celebration of it is muted at best. The reason is, is because I'm still grieved over the fact that people would desire abortion. See, it's not so much abortion, it's the heart that troubles me. And no one's hearts were changed because of a Supreme Court ruling. No one's hearts were changed. And if we are truly to understand this, the, the, it's the, the heart is what is the problem. See, sin is a perversion of that which God created. Satan can't create anything. You know that, right? That, that Satan cannot create anything. The only thing he can do is he can twist and pervert what God has created. For example, lying. Uh, truth is, uh, is God's territory, and so a lie is a twisting and perversion of that. Um, coveting. Uh, God wants us to be content in him, so coveting is a twisting perversion of the contentment we're supposed to have in God. Uh, murder uh, is a perversion of the life that God gives. And so abortion may be the most, the, the, the ultimate twisting and perversion of of God's design I've ever seen. Follow me here. Um, the, God designed the womb to be the safest place on the planet for an unborn. When, when our child was, uh, had a heart defect, uh, and I said, Do we need to deliver the baby now? And, take, and he goes, no, no, no. The doctor said, no, no, no. The womb is the safest place for him right now. The womb can do a lot better than our incubators can do. Um, it's, he, it, he's tucked in there pretty good. It's, it, that's where he needs to stay. The womb was created to be the safest place for a baby. But the most, it has become, because of abortion, the most dangerous place 
for a human child. Um, the, 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 uh, the, this place that was the safest place for you is where you're most likely to be killed. The most dangerous place for a child in America today is not a high crime neighborhood or a battlefield or, or anything like that. It's, it's, it's the womb. And the person who loves you more than anyone, I mean, as a father, I love my kids, but, but uh, um, my wife, I mean, it, it's all about the mom. Mom is the one who's supposed to love you and protect you and care for you, and that's how God set it up. He, she's the ultimate nurturer, the one who's supposed to have your back and take care of you. I mean, they call it mama bear for a reason. They don't call it papa bear. They call it mama bear for a reason. The person that's most likely to kill you is not a terrorist or a gang member or a serial killer. It's your own mother. If a child, hear me on this, if a child can survive the womb and its own mother, the chances of dying, dying violently go way down. You see what abortion has, has twisted and perverted what God designed. The womb is supposed to be the safest. It's a dangerous. Your mother's supposed to care for you. She's the most dangerous one to you. And that's what bothers me is that the hearts of people have not changed because of a ruling. See, if we are going to truly reach this culture, it's not gonna be through landmark rulings and judge, judgments and laws. I mean, I, those are okay. They're very limited. We have to reach people. We have to reach people with the message of the gospel that God loves you, that you are God's creation, that God spent time on you, that the unborn are humans, that they are made in God's image and that they are loved, and that they're precious, and that they are infinitely valuable. That is the message, not, ha-ha, we beat you with a, with, a, with a Supreme Court case. Please, church, continue to talk about how precious life is, all life, born and unborn, how precious your DNA, how precious your, 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 your 75 trillion cells are all humming with the life and energy that God created you with. That the, the, the least of these is still more valuable than all the gold in Fort Knox. That's the message we must have in this very, very divided, very, very emotional time. I really... My beliefs don't depend on the Supreme Court. My beliefs come from the word of God. And so should yours. Celebrate whatever you want, but please, please, do not gloat. Do not shove in people's faces. Do not do a victory dance. Please just continue to teach and preach that people are made in the image of God and that all life is his territory. All of it. That's the message of the church. If we're gonna change this culture, we've gotta change people, and you don't do that through a judgment or a court case. You do that through love. So go out today. Have your aha moment, your realization, your repentance, and allow God to restore you and love this world that is bent on destroying itself. God bless you. Love you. See you later.